This is Curated Chill, the Aspire Design and Home podcast. I'm Josh Cooperman, Director of Broadcast Media for Hudson One Media, and this week we're continuing our coverage of the Legends of La Cienega, the annual event produced and presented by the La Cienega Design Quarter. The LCDQ is comprised of a select group of showrooms that line La Cienega, Melrose Boulevard, and Melrose Place. For more than half a century, this distinguished group of showrooms has served LA's vibrant design community. Legends is a celebration of design, and more specifically, the designers who create it. This year, three days between May 3rd and 5th showcased conversations, panels, parties, exhibits, and gatherings, all in celebration of amazing design. This year's theme, California, the golden state of design. This episode of Curated Shell features a one-on-one interview with Rose Tarlow, known around the world for antiques and incredible furnishing finds. She opened R. Tarlow in 1976, and what became Rose Tarlow Melrose House is predicated on a very simple idea. Every piece must have its own personality. The following conversation took place at Harbinger on La Cienega and was moderated by Lux Interiors and Designs' Pamela Jacarino. Some things to listen for in this chat. Rose is not consumed with the idea that objects need to be worshipped, instead that they be used and enjoyed. Tarlo is a storyteller, and it makes sense as she discussed the ideas behind furnishings that tell the story of the lives of the people who use them. This was a very fun conversation. We're proud to bring you on Curated Chill, the official podcast of Aspire Design and Home. We'll be right back with that conversation in just a moment. Now, more than ever before, it's so important to take care of the fabrics that make up incredible design. High quality furnishings are an investment. As with any investment, you need to protect it. Removing stains is easy with Fiber Seal, and the most talented designers will tell you that caring for the fabric is critical to its longevity. Just about every homeowner will tell you that stains happen. Protecting fine furnishings with Fiber Seal gives your clients the best opportunity for success in stain removal. Designers, recommend to your clients that they protect their fine furnishings with Fiber Seal. Why? Well, Fiber Seal is a suite of products, protective treatments, at-home care products, as well as superior customer service. And the most popular products are GreenGuard Gold Certified. Each treatment comes with superior service from a company dedicated to protecting your fine fabrics, carpets, and rugs from stains and environmental factors that damage fine textiles. You can work with Fiber Seal for pre-testing before you make your textile selects. They are industry partners of both ASID and the Interior Design Society. So, they understand the needs of the design community and how to care for fine furnishings. Visit Fiber Seal online to learn more about how it works. You can also connect online fibersealnortheast.com and on Instagram at fiberseal.com. Northeast. It was so much fun for me, really, to do my research on on you. It was hard for me. I feel like I was like in microfiche and looking at different articles. But I read in the New York Times um, that you said your ambition as a child was to be like Emily Dickinson, a writer and a recluse, which I thought was really interesting. I know you're also an artist. We share that love and that love of design. Um, you also have a deep love and affection for your childhood home, Windriff which you say was a foundation of your world and which provided the groundwork for your life and your work. And sadly, um, Windriff 
um, which was your childhood home by the sea in New Jersey, burned to the ground in the winter of 1966. And in your, your new book, Three Houses, which I got a sneak peek of, and it's fabulous, as everything that Rose does is, you reminisce about the home. The, home, the, the book is about three of your, of your houses. We're going to talk about that later. But you really, it's almost like a love letter to Windriff. And I'm going to ask you about Windriff, but there, first I want to read a passage from the book because um, I felt like it was so poignant. And reading this passage for me, I got this beautiful visual sense of you in that home and what it meant to you. So I'm going to kick off with this passage from Rose's book, Three Houses. If I strain my eyes, I can see the long window seat that stretched the length of my bedroom. I would sit there for hours and look out at the vast, never-ending view of the ocean. I don't need my reading glasses. This is great. I, <laughs> I can see the seashells on my mantle, the starched, white, organdy-clad vanity that I had almost forgotten. The walls, because of the dampness of the ocean, would be repainted every few years. I could choose a fresh color, and my whole room would then again be bright and beautiful. Photos are like flashcards, recorded notes that test the memory. I have not one picture of that pink room. So when I read that, we had a conversation. I just read that, and it just it really touched me and meant so much to me. That house meant so much to you and shaped your career as an antiques dealer, an antiquaire, a designer, a creator of fabrics and furniture. Can you talk a little bit about Windriff and how it was, how it influenced you in every way, back then and today? It's funny, when you read it to me, I feel like very, you know, I start feeling sad too. But the truth of it is, um, it influenced me very much. Not because it was beautiful, because it really wasn't. But because it was my home, and um, I, I had four, you know, five children in our Louder. family. Oh, there are five children in, in our family, and we never were together because we all went to boarding schools. So the only time we were ever together was there. And it's not because it was beautiful. It wasn't. But it was our place where we were, and it did influence me because it had big ceilings and big high rooms. And I always have high rooms, maybe because I'm not so short. I'm not so tall. But um, it wasn't that everything was beautiful in it, because I constantly wanted to change things. I didn't know that I liked changing things. I just thought everything was wrong all the time. But, but, but you know, what's interesting to me is you, you say it was, it, it, it was the groundwork for your life and work. And so you, you, you love beauty. We know this about you. You love, you love beautiful things. It's so important to you. So how did this house that wasn't beautiful, in your estimation, have such a profound impact on you? It wasn't that it was. There were places that were beautiful. The grounds were beautiful. The ocean was beautiful. Um, when I say it wasn't beautiful, it wasn't decorated. It was like, uh, for instance, in the, it was a big house. So in the basement was all a huge kitchen and a staff dining room and everything. And my parents put it upstairs because we didn't live that way. And they took the dining room which was uh, and made it much smaller because they made a kitchen there. So they put this horrible flowered wallpaper up in the, in the dining room, <laughs> put a big, huge um, window, you know, which just didn't fit the house, a picture window to see the ocean. And I knew it was wrong. I didn't know why, but I just knew. Did it, it impact, wrong. you know, did you live in that house or something? I, I need to go 
and 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 I want you. Well, I wouldn't say you want to become a designer, but no. you, you. But but did it? Did that house for you make you recognize? Um, aesthetics are incredibly important to me, and this is what's going to be my life's work. No. Oh. Really? I never thought that would be my life's work. Really? I just knew I didn't like everything. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't think it was going to be my life's work till I was, you know, till way longer than that. No, I never thought of it that way. That's interesting. Okay. I never thought about. I always wanted to write, and it was really hard for me because it's hard to write. It is very hard and to write. I always admire people that can write because it's, you know, one of the hardest things to do. But I like to do it. But um, did I want to be designer? No, I never thought about that. I just knew what was wrong. I love it. That's great. Well, sometimes you know, we're going to talk about no and all of that. So let's. Um, I love to talk about creativity and art and all that stuff, but I also love to talk about business, right? So let's let's segue into Rose Tarlow Melrose House, um, which is one of the most influential global design brands. And I really wanted to talk about the early days because I love this story. When you started Rose Tarlow Melrose House in 1976, you had $55,000 in seed money to go shopping in Paris for antiques, which sounds really fun. There's a lot of money then, too. There's a lot of money then. And so you had this wonderful time. And oh, we're going to wait for, yeah, <laughs> OK. Um, but the shipper ran away with your money. And in correct you for a minute. Yes. It was not a wonderful time. <laughs> Why? Very, very hard time. Why? Because I was young and I didn't know what I was doing and it was very difficult. It's not fun going to a country by yourself. I had a friend with me though. And uh, having a certain amount of money and having to spend it and not having any experience. But you did, so you, you did go do the shopping and you, you, you purchased everything and you came back here and when you opened up the shipment, it was half pieces, it was bits and pieces of furniture. And you had a shop, and how did you make it work? Tell me the story of, of all, tell all of us the story. All, I went to Paris with, with a friend, and we hired a shipper that we, with a big company called Khmer and Damar, which is still there, half of it. And um, we went to the flea market, which then was the greatest place in the world. Every big antique dealer went, it was, something out of, you know, all the good things were there. It was the best place to shop. It was so much fun. And later on, but I mean, this first time it was a little difficult. We met a really nice girl there that was our age that um, had wonderful taste. And we bought a lot of things from her. And then we bought things all over. And then the shipper recommended we take his son and go to a big fair in Lyon. So um, we went to the fair and he said, there'll be tons of antique shops on the way. There were none. <laughs> his car broke down. Go to Lyon, and he said the fair was closed. There was no fair, so we took up. His car broke down, so we flew back, and we met the girl on the plane, and she said to us, "Oh, it was a great fair." So we missed that fair, and then when we came back, I became friendly with her, and she called me when I got to America and said to me, "Rose, they're selling all your things from the flea market. They haven't been paid." So I didn't know what to do, and we heard later that the shipper had taken our money gambled it, and then shot himself in the head. <laughs> a very auspicious beginning to Rose Tarlow Melrose House. OK, so hang on. So you've got, all right. It was just the beginning. It went like that. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you know. okay so you're starting with you know, a suicide. 
and you, but you it come back here. Real. And, it sounds like it's fake, like a story. You could, if you wrote it, it sounds like a Netflix special to me, like a little six-parter. But okay, so so here you are. You go there. You trust. You know. You, you you said it wasn't. You know, it was hard for you. You're young. You're picking everything out, and you come back and you got like these half things. How did you? How did you make that work, Rose? Because you did make it work. So what did you do? I was really lucky because the people that do my furniture now, that do my finishes, mostly the finisher that I met then, helped me. You know, we put things together, we pulled it, made it look good. They weren't all really, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it was okay. And um, I hired this person that I had known for years, for not a year, few years, from Brunswick Good because he was such a good salesperson a week before he got indicted for something and put in jail. So it was just like a pattern. the most difficult time, and it wasn't fun, and it was hard. But you loved it. I mean, you, you did it. I loved it in the beginning. I loved it. I loved my antique shop more than anything I've ever done. It was just different, and there were antique dealers on my whole street, and it was just the most, I can't even tell you how much I loved it. I love when you say, this is on our phone conversation too, where you say, well, I got lucky. I just don't think it's luck. I think there's, it's got to be, there's part luck and there's part you. And, like, and, and you did, you know, you took risks in, in business and made it successful. Yes? Well, you know, the yes. shop was there across the street. Well, it was a very hard time. It was in the middle of 1976, I think, there was a big crash. And Michael Taylor had the shop right across the street from me for a short period of time. And he was terrific. He was such a wonderful influence and exciting. And we'd meet in the middle of the street and discuss whatever was going on. And uh, it was, every shop was an antique dealer. And it was so different than now. But it's also an interesting lesson in, you know, which, which everyone in this room has experienced because we're all human. And, um, you know, having a desire to do something and having a challenge in front of you. And you said it was really hard, but nevertheless, you, like you it. made it work. How? What was it? Like, what, what, you know, was it your determination to make it work? What? What you stuck with it? Well, everyone thinks that it was a, this, this shop was a really huge success, but truthfully, it wasn't because everything. No, I had really perfect things. Everything had to be perfect. Every antique had to be of the period. It, and no one bought anything, so it wasn't really successful. <laughs> and I remember my. This sounds a little. Funny, I always tell the story. My ex-husband said to me, why don't you just take the tickets off everything and let everyone tell you what good taste you have? <laughs> <laughs> because I really didn't sell very much. So what made that... But I made my reputation. And that was where it started. And, and, and talk a little bit about, you know, you, you started off, you know, with all the antiques, but then you went into sort of like reproductions and, and what, how, what was, you know, what was the mindset behind that? Well, the mindset was um, that I was getting divorced, and I wasn't selling any furniture, so I had to do something. You had to make more. it work. Yeah, and it was the worst time for me. Very, very hard, because I always thought I was an antique dealer, and this was what I loved. And to do this was like the worst thing you could possibly do in your life. But it, it was very profitable immediately, and it just took off. I had no choice. Yeah, OK. So you, you know, started with antiques. You're like, you have this moment of, I have no choice, I have to make it work. You make your business very successful. In 2008, you all but retired and sold Rose Tarlow Miller's house to private equity firm. Six years later, you realized you weren't quite ready 
to retreat from the professional realm and you bought back your company, the company with your name on it, which I'm always fascinated by. I've talked to some other men and women who start a company, your name is on it, you sell it, and then you're sort of watching from the sidelines. What, um, talk a little bit about what motivated you to get back into you know, your, your business and sort of you know, be at the lead again. I'm trying to think what to say because um, I was listening to my head, not listening to you. Yeah. What I was thinking of, um, what motivated me to do it, I never cared about the name. It didn't bother. Everybody says, oh, you care about your name so much. I really didn't care. I just wanted to leave. Yeah. And during those few periods, that time of my life, I did a few design jobs because I had nothing else to do. And, and I liked that, but I didn't really like it because I don't like working for other people. So yeah. it wasn't great. <laughs> but um, it was something, I always need to do something. I need to design something. I need to do a house always. If it's for, you know, for my, I usually do it for myself because that's a need I do have. Um, Are you a tough client for yourself? Probably. I, I don't know. Am I? I'm, I think I am. I, I may be. I don't know. But um, I think I bought it back because it was really failing. And it's a, just a story. I, I think I didn't like doing the decorating. Yeah. And I liked having something to do. And um, it was another challenge. To go back in. Yeah. I like it better this time than the first time. Oh, do you? Why is that? Because it, when you're younger, you have so much pressure. And as you get older and you do other things and you're a little more secure, it doesn't feel so important. But nevertheless, you know, it's wildly successful. Um, uh, last June, you took Rose Toller Melrose House to a new shop in the base of operations at 425 North Robertson Boulevard. The architecture of the building is quite striking. It's very much in keeping with California style. I think the theme here is California style for Legends this year. Um, it has shiplap Alaskan cedar boards and, and staggered um, gables. Can you talk a little bit about you know, your, your vision? I know you worked, I believe, with Mark Appleton on it, but it, it's always your vision. And, and, and talk a little bit about the inspiration for the shop and, and particularly the, the architecture and, and you know, sort of the next iteration. What was important for you? I can't say this. It wasn't that it was important, because I never think it's so important anymore. You know, as you get older, you don't feel anything's that important. <laughs> so I looked, uh, I saw a picture of three kinds of barns together with one roof like that in a magazine. I think it was architectural practice. And I loved it. It was gray. And I liked the old, the wood being that way. And I thought that I gave that to Mark. And I said, this is what I would like to do. And he did a very good job interpreting it in his way. And um, I wanted the gray, but we couldn't find the way to make the wood work that way. Yeah. So um, I love, you know, this was, this, this shop in between when I was on Melrose, and it wasn't mine. That was done by the other people. So my first shop yeah. was on Melrose Place, and I had a tiny little shop. And then I had later on one across the street. And um, everybody loves that shop. They come in, every time I do a shop, you know, when I go in, they always say, oh, we really loved your old shop. <laughs> it's like, what do you call that when people say that when they do that? It's like, what's it called? No, it's worse than that. <laughs> Passive aggressive. I mean, they, oh, and then when I had a new candle for my shop, they, and this candle is beautiful. 
Yeah. The other one wasn't. Oh, we loved your old candy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting to hear what happens when the book comes. They're gonna. I swear to you, they're gonna say, oh, "We loved your old book." <laughs> so I don't. I don't believe anybody. I don't take. I don't listen to comments. What I was gonna say. What is your response when someone says that to you? I don't say anything. You know why? Because they don't know. I always think this way. But maybe they're saying that I don't know if it's passive aggressive. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. It is the people that say it. But I, isn't it about memory, though? Oh God, she's so funny. Isn't it? It's about. It's also about a memory. It is. I mean, memories are. You, you, you read. You said it in Windriff, right? You people have a an experience of of being somewhere. I mean, they, they, you know, it's it's kind of history in a way, and people love that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with, my interpretation is, it's not passive-aggressive, that it is, it's a compliment. It's a compliment. It is strong, but I didn't know what words to use for it, because I laugh when they do, because I know they're going to do it. <laughs> anyway, I have, I, I have seen your new book, and I have your old book, and I think they're both fantastic, I have to say. Um, okay, we have to talk about your passion for antique shopping. Um, what is... That is my passion, I love it. I know you do. What is always going to catch your eye, and what... What informs your judgment and your taste when you're, you know, on the hunt? I don't know. You know, it's something strange. You just know when you see something. And I know, I, I feel something, so I get all, I get really like my bump. You know what it's like. You get all excited and you feel like, oh my God, I have to have that no matter what. And you do it, and I don't care who gets it, I'll give it to somebody else, our client, but I have to buy. Are you a really good negotiator when you're, when you're going with antiques? No. I would imagine you are. You're no. not? What, really? No. When I was in Paris, when I was younger and I was buying antiques, I always used to spend so, waste so much time negotiating people because they just made you spend the whole day talking about something. And there was one woman that I remember, she, I put talk about her in my book, she had a cigarette hanging from her mouth. She never, she, did, she was so mean looking, and she never would reduce her prices in any way, shape, or form. And I talk, took that as my goal. I don't like to waste time like that. First of all, you know the next person that comes in could get a better price than you. So I always don't negotiate, and I don't like to negotiate. And I, you know, I don't think the negotiate, it's a hard way, you have to be a really good negotiator. Yeah. And it's a, it's a game. You can never say, Oh, that's too ugly. This is broken. That doesn't look good. That's the worst thing you can do when you negotiate because you have to say it a different way. You have to say, I love this so much, but I wish I could afford it. You know, it's very different. So you have to know how to negotiate. And it takes so much time. Yeah. You know, but sometimes I did do it. Yeah. And I, there's one antique dealer we spent the whole day on the floor negotiating for some little, he was a great dealer, and uh, negotiating for something. And he'd say to me, well, when I come to Los Angeles, what are you going to do for me? I said, oh, I don't change my price. <laughs> You know, there were so many wonderful dealers that we don't have anymore. So yeah, I always I know. think that I'm a legend because they're all gone. <laughs> Which is the truth in many ways. That's great. So, um, Rose, I want to talk with you about the power of discernment and, and, and saying no which you have, you have said is your talent. And this is, I, I find this is really interesting because it is mine. this is what's really interesting for me. You know, I've, I've, you know, you're at a cocktail party, a dinner, you're interviewing people, and you know, I'll say to designers or anyone in business, you know, what's, what's your secret? What's your secret? Say yes to everything. Say yes and figure it out. That's, that's the secret. Except not with, not with Rose Tarlow. 
right? Which I think is so fascinating that you, well, I think it's amazing that you're discerning, but you, you understand how to say no to things. Talk, you should talk a little bit about that. I don't know if I meant how to say no. I don't think I <laughs> My gift is discernment. I can tell when something's wrong. I can always tell. And it's strange, and I can't fix it myself. I don't, not that I can do it, but let's say I see a room where one of you designers do it. I will know if it's beautiful. I will know if it's not, but I won't know how to fix it or do it. Do you know what I mean? But I know when it's right, and I know when it's wrong. But you've also, you right, know. With an antique, that's the same thing. You've also, I mean. You, you, it's a gift. But you also will say no to, to jobs that, that, you know, other designers would, you know, or, or someone interested in the business would, would really want to take on. And you are a woman who can walk away from that. And in, in a world where a lot of people would not. What, how? It's very different because a lot of designers are designers. They don't have a business. This is what they do. I had a business all the time. I didn't have the time to do the designing and the business. And I don't like working for other people because I'm spoiled because I work for myself and I'm a little lazy too. <laughs> I don't believe it, yeah. My biggest client that I ever said to me that, Rose, you're so lazy. And that's why you don't do these other jobs. But I'm busy, I have my other things to do. People don't have that privilege of having another business. Yeah. They, you know, and I am not a designer. I don't know all the sources you all have. I haven't spent my time doing all that. I, when I look through magazines, I try to learn what you've done because I only have done a few jobs. And I admire it. But I am lucky, that's why I can say that. Okay. Your design philosophy, I want to talk a little bit about it, because you, you have said that it's largely based on quality of life decisions um, and whether it's something that you're going to love and enjoy all the time. Um, talk a little bit about, about that. Um, I don't know what the question is. It's, I think everything's about the quality of life. It's just as if you can afford to enjoy that time, and I'm older. Now I've already made my success. And I can enjoy things that I might not have been able to enjoy years ago. So, but did you always have that philosophy, even when you were starting the business and growing the business, that you know, it's it's got to work for you, and 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 in some ways, you know, you have prioritized yourself, in in a good way. Yes, I think so. I think that. Um, Every, I, I can't live in a hotel because I don't think it, it makes, I like my own surroundings. I like beautiful things. I like a special way of life. And I think as a child, I, even though the house wasn't beautiful, we had a certain way of life that was really special. And um, I grew up in boarding schools where nobody is spoiled. Everybody has to wear the same clothes and everybody is the same. And um, I think it made me very strong in that way where I could um, get along with everybody if I wanted to, and um, I don't think I, you know, I did have a privileged life, but it wasn't as what people think it was. It was, yeah. it was you know, childhood where you didn't have anybody else with you except your parents in the summer yeah. and your sisters and brothers in the summer. So it made me very strong, but it made me want to live a certain way. Yeah. I don't know how to explain. I mean, I don't know if that's the answer. Yeah, it's just who you are. So you are, you know, you're so selective about how you spend your time and energy. You are 
um, a creative spirit. You like to read, write, you like to paint. What's a, what's a, give us a glimpse into like a day in the life of, of Rose Tarlow when you're spending, when you're spending time. How do you prioritize it? You know, you've got, all of us have sort of our creative energy that we get to expend. How, what sort of your, like what, what would be a great day for you in terms of how you would spend your time, Rose? During the week or during the weekend? Both. Let's go, let's do a, let's do a Wednesday and a Sunday. I love to go to my, uh, after the weekend, I cannot wait to go. It's always been this way. I remember when I was just starting my antique shop and I couldn't wait till Monday morning to go to work. I like to work. I love to go to my office. I especially love this new building because it's really, you know, new and exciting. But um, weekends, I have to find something to do. And if I don't have something to do, like um, writing the book or getting the book ready or what other things do I do? Think, you know, a project like that. Uh, I don't know what to do. Sometimes I'll paint, sometimes I'll just sit around and read a book. I'm very, as I said, I just, uh, my favorite thing to do is to read. And um, what kind of books do you read? Don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> you okay. Don't, you don't want to know. Really? <laughs> so I read every. I'm, fiction, nonfiction, no, no, biographies. And I've oh, because you know, oh, Emily Dickinson. That, but my fun reading is just. Whatever. Trashy cool. novels and Emily Possibly. Dickinson. Okay. No, not, not as fun okay. as that. Okay. <laughs> but um, do I, I love it, literature. I love to go back and look. <laughs> Don't laugh, right, Jonathan. <laughs> I know I was going to embarrass you, see? Um, I love to go back and study what I studied in school, and I re now it's really important to me. What do you study in school? Well, learning, going back to the Greeks and oh, things right. like that. I love like English going class. Back. I wish that when I, I could, I wish that I had done things that I, you know, tried harder and learned more when I was younger. Yeah. Don't you ever feel that way? Too? I feel that way. A wasted childhood, not Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I have a lot. I mean, is there a therapist in the house? Right? I wanted to go to art school, and I go to art school. So, like, yeah, there's a lot. But, but... But, you know, it's interesting because we, you know, it's, it's easy to, for anyone to go back and say, like, I wish I, no, or like, I try or should have. Go back and do well, it. sure, you're but doing it. You're really doing strange it. Is today, when I sit with some, when I go with some of the people that work with me and younger people, and I ask them about some, not people here, maybe one or two, but uh, <laughs> um, they don't know anything. They know nothing about poetry. They know nothing about anything. And it's so sad because it informs your design world. It doesn't informs your life and you just don't know anything. Yeah. And I don't understand it. Well, it's a, you, you know. know. And yet there are some young people that really learn and really study architecture and things, you know. And I did teach a class in school, which was so much fun for me. At UCLA? Yeah, and I loved it. What was the class? It was for um, architect, young architectural students in their last year. It was a master's class. There was only 10 or 12 people. And it was so fun that we never took a break because I talked the whole time and, I, you know, <laughs> and it was fun for me. But um, I loved it because I made them learn things. Well, you know, it's such an interesting, I think it's an interesting time. First of all, the problem is we're all on our phones. But, 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 you know, if you think about it, if, if you want to learn about anything, I mean, you just Google search. I mean, you can, we're living in a time when, honestly. You know what to Google. You can, you, can, you can discover anything. That is one thing that's, you know, pretty magical about the time. But you've got to make the, you've got to prioritize the time. 
It's also something about, you know, it's, it's also not anybody's fault. It's just the way it is. Yeah. You don't have time to, you know, you weren't trained to do that. You don't have time to start. If you want to earn a living and make a life and do design work, you don't have time to just sit around and do certain things that I had the time to do. Or, um, I mean, it's not even about that. Some people don't even know who Kennedy was. I mean, it's just <laughs> unbelievable. So I don't, I feel that we, that I was very privileged to yeah. have all those things. Yeah. So, um, and that's what informed your life. Completely. Completely. Um, I want to circle back. My last question is about um, your new book, Three Houses, as we mentioned. And it's really, you know, this, the story of, of, of three of your family homes and sort of this personal archive and treasure trove of memories about design inspiration and, and all of this. Um, and, it, you know, we're coming out of this completely bizarre time. I, I, I feel like the pandemic... I, I liken it to, as our chairman said, you know, it's like we've gone through a black hole. We've come out the other side and like things look familiar, but nothing's the same, right? Does everyone else feel like they've completely changed? Yeah, raise your hand, right? But the, other, the thing that's, that's so interesting about the pandemic was all of us were in our homes more than we have ever been in our homes. And I think that so many of us um, really thought about our homes differently. How did you how did you feel about, about the pandemic? Well, about about being at home. I mean, I would imagine I don't know if you, you know, would would could go to the office every day, but your did 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 it impact your um, relationship to your home, the way that you feel about the home, and certainly you spent more time in the home. How did that I thought I feel the pandemic was a horrible thing and if I didn't think that I might lose friends or people were dying or that I would die, I liked it. <laughs> because you could stay home, because, because, well, I did too for a short period. After I freaked out, I did, because <clears throat> the thing that it did was it made time for me, and I think completely slowed down. And we share, like, we like to be alone, right? I love, I like, I, to, be I, alone. I like yes. to be alone too. I need my alone time. And so for us, like, that worked for me, just having this, like, the luxury of, of the gift of a little bit more time when I wasn't having a full panic attack. Yeah. It was good. I, I worried about everybody, and I worried about myself. I worried about my children. I worried about everything. But other from that, I think, you know, there was a, something about not having to get up and go anywhere in, in the morning. Or, I don't know. I, 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 I worked still. Did you work on your book during that time? I did. But I yeah. also, like, I have French doors going outside, so some of the girls that work with me would come in and they'd park their car and I'd sit in the window and they'd show me things and we'd go over fabrics and we still worked. Yeah. It was nice I didn't have to get dressed and put on my clothes and, you know, look good and, you know, things like that. Okay. I think the thing I liked better about it, I just didn't have to think about looking yeah. a certain way and getting dressed and fixing your hair. I mean, yeah. it was really I get it. a restful time in many ways. So those are all of my questions, Rose, and I am asking a favor. Right. Would you be open to a few questions from the audience, or are we are we wrapping okay. it? Let's do it. Yes. Okay. So many, maybe a few. We're going to take a few questions from the audience. Brilliant questions only. Who's going to be the first one to ask Rose Tarlow a question? No one can be shy. Someone has to raise their hand. No pictures. <laughs> no. We cannot be in. Yes. Thank you. Okay. okay. Yeah. Suzanne Tucker. I'll ask the question. Go ahead. You probably can't hear me. Okay, I'll repeat it. Yes, okay, please. 
Hi, Rose. Hi, <laughs> Hi Pam. Hi. All right. So what you touched on is what people don't know today, younger designers. It's a lack of education. Maybe it's a lack of curiosity. Or as you said, they don't know what to ask. They don't know. You don't know what you don't know. No, we're not blaming them. No. Hang on. One second. Well, wait a second. Don't, don't. Hang on. They really want to learn. Yes. Yes. They really want to learn things, and they really get excited about things that they haven't been told, and they want to know. It's just that maybe education, like that. The education is when lacking. You're, when you're an architect and you're in school of architecture and you don't know anything. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I'll tell a quick story if you don't mind. Hold tell on. a quick story. Um, switch back. Okay. The switch quick back. story is okay. that I was dating a very big architect for a long time and he came into my house and he said to me, he looked around the room, this is an architect, said to me, did you run out of wood? And I said, no, that's a border. So, I mean, as you get it, you know, the wood, what I'm explaining to you, maybe you don't, you know, is that I had a, board, a wood board around the room and that he thought that I had run out of wood. So I said to myself, how can an architect, any architect, not know the basic background of things? Okay, so you go right to modernism. You have to learn you have the to learn. rules and you have to learn about what went before, but th those architects didn't. No, and you and I could have that conversation for hours on, on end because it's not being taught in schools today. There's very few schools that teach from the ground of the classics so that you learn scale and proportion, and then you know how to write the symphony from there on. Yes, exactly. I mean, Picasso started off as a portrait artist, you know, and then went, look what he, where he went. But my question for you, Rose, they is... Knew how to, he knew how to draw before he stopped drawing. Absolutely. When, when he went, you know, and then people absolutely. Don't. And I find it worse for architects than for designers. Well, I think architects get put into boxes, linear boxes, because of their education. I think you and I are better off not having gone to architecture school. Yes. We don't see limits. We don't see limits. And that's why designers are freer and are better in some ways. They, they're more creative, I think. That's true. So, question... If you were to name the best house for a designer to go see and study oh. in America, in England, France, Good question. Italy, too, where would you tough. send them? Huh? Oh, come on. Uh, would I send them? Yes. Because yeah. I always want to send all my clients, all my young designers, wannabes, I want to send them on a to grand really tour. About. Yeah, well, you know, when I lived in London, when I still spend a lot of time in London. I would go weekends to all the houses, yeah. and I learned a lot. And when I was in France, I used to do that, too. Um, books. Yeah. I think books are very important. The better, li bigger library you have if you can't travel all over. Um, I don't know. I think it's really looking at really doing looking at books, you can't go everywhere, you can't see every house. And you know, the thing is that, I remember when I had the uh, class, I would give, tell them to read books about antiques. In the antique books, there's only the best pieces. You don't learn from that only. The place you learn is going to auction houses because you see bad pieces or pieces that are not, and you know, because you can't find them, that in books, but you can find beautiful rooms and beautiful, Houses and um, I just bought some, put you know some books about uh, watercolors, German mm -hmm. watercolors, and oh my God, those rooms were beautiful. So I mean, just studying that gives you so much 
inspiration. I find inspiration is important. I think it's also what you just hit on. Here you are, your career, whether you planned it or not, and yet you still have the curiosity. You still want to delve and learn and study. That's the key. Mm -hmm. And I love looking at books still. But, you know, I, that, I find so much, this group of books that I just found, I, I had them before, but I have, I'm just saying I found them, but I had them. Anyway, um, just, I, that gives you inspiration for design. And, so, you know, sometimes even as a decorator when you're doing that, I love to learn something, just go and I find a little piece of something and it put, you know, it helps. So I think that's important to have a good library and to really look at it all the time. You are our inspiration. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? Any other questions? Yes. Yeah, we can have a shy group right here, front row. Hi, um, hi, Rose, and hi, uh, Pamela. It was such a nice. I loved the. It was the most authentic interview um, I've heard. It was just really nice to hear, especially. Um, that it wasn't easy, you know? You know, it's, it's, it's good to know. But uh, my question for you is, if there's one advice you have for designers, um, people who are here who are whether starting out or had started a few years, uh, what is that one advice you have for them? That's a big question. Because you know, I can talk all day and give you a hundred pieces. I'm very good at advice. We're here, I'd be happy to stay, let's, like we could, the show can go on. Advice would I tell you? I don't know, because you know the truth is you probably know more about it than I do. I'm a dealer. I'm not a designer, and it, I spent where I'm very lucky because I only have one or two jobs. Somebody has thirty jobs. I mean, I can take my time and do it what I want. So I can't give advice. The advice I say is just take your time and not push yourself to make decisions. Really think about it carefully. Because sometimes you are put on the spot, you make, have to make a decision. Never be afraid to say, I don't really know right now, let me think about this, or let me come back with a better answer, with something that I try. I would say is, how, what, what question is that? How can I tell you? What about like, um, do you, you know, you know, business advice, or like a life advice, you know, more of a, you know, a business advice, piece of, you, you're, you ran it and run very successful business. So you've got to have some really good business advice. Surround yourself with people that know more than you do. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Question in the back. Oh, another thing of advice too is when you're starting out as a designer, work for somebody. Don't try to do it on your own. It's a lot of problems. I think you should find somebody good to work for and learn from them. So this is kind of a segue to the earlier conversation <laughs> about people, uneducated people, but this is more about clients. So lately, and over time, sorry. <laughs> well, there are none of them here, right? So um, I'm running into people, particularly young people who have means, but they have virtually no interest in anything old. They don't want a couch that oh, anyone has ever sat on before. They almost have like a fear of old things. How can you, do you have any advice on how to inspire people or inculcate them into an appreciation of things that have patina or have been around for 100 years? 
Help me. <laughs> it's a really good question because I know that I've had young people that work for me that only know about what's going on today. They have no background about anything else and they have very good taste in what's going on today because you could have very good taste. There's some really interesting things and I really like them. Um, I always call it fiddle middle because it's just like this time where we're in a weird space where people, but I've gone through that before. There was a time when we only had Biedermeyer. There was a time when we only had, you know, everybody jumps on the same bandwagon, except the trouble with it is they don't know how to mix it together because every room looks the same with all new pieces. That's my thing. I love a new piece. I love a modern piece. I love something that's interesting like that, but I don't like it always mixed with the same things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't understand some of it that, Every magazine you look in has that same chair in that I had. I mean, I put that chair in someone's house 30 years ago, and now it's so popular that every single person has, you know, the Pierre Generate chair, and it's just boring after right, a while. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, a lot, you know, a lot, a lot of people, a lot of people, particularly with the design of their homes, have a hard time taking risks. A lot of people have a hard time taking risks so in don't life take in general. Risks. Don't take right. risks. Yeah. Just do it right. Yeah. Or they, or they, <laughs> I love it. I, no, hopefully we're recording this. Um, Somebody said to me once, a client said to me, we were walking around with a, a designer, for, we were trying to figure out we should hire this, art, this um, landscape architect or who we should hire. And he said to me, let them tell you. Don't start telling them right away what you want. Let them tell you. And um, I forgot what the question was. What was it? Um, whatever it was. So, you know, it, it's not that you take a risk. You don't have, you don't, this is what he said to me. He said, it doesn't have to be excellent. It just could, should be very good. Because sometimes when you press too far for excellence, yeah. it's not good. And you also, shouldn't always try to reinvent something. Yeah. It's like when she was walking around landscaping, I, she was trying to reinvent because she saw what someone did before. I said, you don't have to be better than they are, just be very good. Yeah. It's different. You don't have to copy somebody. You don't have to be somebody else. You just do what you can do the best yeah. you can. Yeah. I mean, I, I also think, sorry, I, the woman who was standing up, I mean, like, take your clients to a Sotheby's or Christie's auction. Like, you've got to, like, you've kind of got to make, like, antiques cool for them and exciting for them and sexy for them in some way and I like it, it's kind of a crime that people think that you know oh, that's old I don't want that I mean really I mean it, 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 it's so exciting so I think I, I this is like I mean of course go with the rose tomorrow answer but this is my opinion I would make it interesting for them I put a whole deck together for I mean where's Kate Kelly Smith knows it yeah she's like oh yeah I know what Pam's actually know what you're like you've got to excite them you have to be so enthusiastic Okay, and you unroll them in a story. When you get them in a story, they get excited a piece of that. So my question, hi, Rose. My question is, I like your transparency at a showroom. Didn't sell anything. Started a new venture. How did you get exposure? How did you market? And what would you do today if you were starting your company over? Oh, God. How did I get exposure? Well, don't forget, I started on the best street in town, which wasn't my choice. Somebody told me to do that. That's why I said get people that know better than you. 
And I remember for, I was next door to Ferranti and nobody was coming in my shop. I'd just leave the door open, think they'd come in there by themselves. And I don't know, I think it was a, there was a period when exposure, how do you get exposure? I don't, I don't know because I, I never, I had a shop. So people came in there. I think when you're a designer and you're starting out by yourself and you don't have a place to show things, it's a little harder. Um, it's a really hard question. I think just how do, how would you, how, how do you do it? TikTok. Tell me what do you think, what, how would you do it? No, I don't mean that, but how would you advise someone to do it? Yeah. That I did? Clear sighted vision was the terminology. I think that I was lucky because I, I didn't have to do a room and everyone look at it. I had a shop, I had a beautiful piece of furniture. My reputation, whether I sold anything or not, came from the quality I had. But it, and it was very lucky. I think if I started out just designing, it wouldn't have been that easy. This was, I wasn't known for, for decorating. I was known for having good quality, good pieces, and I had wonderful people there. There was Michael Taylor, there were great, you know, great San Francisco dealer. They all, there were a lot of great decorators at that time. So I could never have competed with them, truthfully. But I did have excellent quality. My thing always has been, always have the best you can, that you can afford to. When I listened to that, to what, what was her name? Kennedy, uh, pre, what was Jack and Kennedy Jack walking Kennedy. around that White House saying, oh, you know, everything has to be the best. It sounded so stupid that it used to annoy me. <laughs> but the truth of it is, it, it's not about a good piece of furniture. It's not about, it's about everything. It's about string beans. It's about everything. You have to pick good things and good quality always and make that important. You know, anything you buy, everything you look at, you're not gonna buy a wilted string bean, you're not gonna buy anything that looks ugly. Always get really good things. And that's why my antique shop was good. I didn't make any money and I promise you that's true. But I had perfect quality. Now in my new shop, I don't have good quality in the antiques and I love it because they have character. I wouldn't go back to the other anyway. Yeah, any final parting words of wisdom before we, Joe Lucas, brings your Legends Award? Rose? I, I, no, I, I think the last thing I said was the most important thing in my, in my life. Everything <laughs> should be the best quality you can afford. Thank you, Rose. Thank you for all that wisdom. Um, on behalf of the uh, La Cienega Design Quarter, you should, let's stand you up. I mean, why not? No, you don't have to stand. Yes, Sit. it's a photo uh, But we would love to present you with this Living Legends Award. Thank you so much for coming today. Thank you, Pam.
Thank you, Rose Tarlow, for sharing your story. Thank you, Pamela, for moderating the La Cienega Design Quarter for making this possible. Thank you to our partners and sponsors like Fiber Seal Northeast for their support. And thank you for listening to the show. For links to the videos, if they're available, check the show notes. And if they are published, you can see them. You will be able to find them all on Home Plus by Aspire. I'm Josh Cooperman, looking forward to sharing with you the next episode of Curated Chill, filled with stories about sublime design. So come back to chill.